Hello world and welcome to Surveillance Report 47, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. This report today is going to recap some of the most notable events in the last week, and that's going to involve Western Digital's MyBook Live incident, OSM's possible move to the EU, Maine's facial recognition ban, a cell carrier who's injected ads into an SMS verification code, some fun VPN news to keep you all updated on VPN stuff, and more. I'm Henry from TechLore. I am Nathan from The New Oil. And we went back and forth on what service to feature this week, and we ended up going with Proton. So if you want to go with an email that has allows you to offer end-to-end encryption to external contacts as well, they don't have to use ProtonMail, you can set up ProtonMail pretty easily using our affiliate link, and that's down below. If you're interested in VPNs as well, which we'll talk about later today also, you can also have that all through its own ecosystem through Proton. So overall, we like Proton, we recommend them. We have an affiliate link down below if you want to support the podcast as well. So check that out down below. Let's start off in data breaches as we always do. This week we only have one to talk about and it is a LinkedIn data breach for 700 million users. It includes full names, genders, email addresses, phone numbers, and quote unquote industry information. So probably like job history and certifications and stuff like that. It's actually kind of unclear where this data comes from. So you guys may remember back in April, there was a scrape. It wasn't really a breach. It was just a public scrape of public information. Experts think that this is probably a resale of that scrape combined with a few new records because that scrape was only like 500 million uh, users or something like that. So Yeah, it's probably existing information coupled with a little bit of new information. Of course, LinkedIn is saying there haven't been any incidences since April, so we'll uh, keep you guys updated if we learn anything more about that. Now we're going to move on to companies, and we're going to start out with Google. So Google has something called Google AMP, which for those of you who don't know, Google AMP essentially is going to cache a web page and give it to you via a Google service. This is kind of problematic because it centralizes a lot of things to Google and it also forces people who want to have high SEO into using Google AMP in order to be prioritized in search results. It's also known not to be good for privacy. Google AMP in general is just not a good thing and we very much dislike it. Google supposedly is migrating away from Google AMP because it's no longer requiring publishers to use it but it's replacing it with something called Core Web Vitals, which uh, is not supposed to be any better. And so we're still getting details on what Core Web Vitals is going to be about, but the reality is it's still Google centralizing things and it's likely still gonna be bad for privacy, and this is not good. Our next story is also about Google, and this is an update to a story I believe we mentioned earlier this year. Google Play developers will need to enable two-step verification and meet identity requirements. Google is trying to improve end user security by requiring all developer accounts to have two-factor enabled. So if you are a developer and you put an app on the Google Play Store, you will have to have two-factor on your account, which is good because that you know, means that it's harder for someone to like hijack your account and push out a malicious app. Google will also require developers to disclose information like whether they're an individual or whether they represent an organization, contact name, a physical address, and a ver- and will have to verify their email address and phone number. This information will not be publicly available. And at this time, it's unclear if you'll be able to use a VoIP phone number, a forwarding email address, PO box, things like that. Hopefully, For developers, that will be the case so they can preserve their privacy. The next article has to do with Google Assistant. So Google Assistant is kind of like the Siri, but for Android. And there has been a very interesting set of events here. So Google apparently told a government panel that the Assistant records user audio even when it's not summoned using the term OK Google. Also, no regrets if that 
set something off, it means you should turn off Assistant on your phone. Turn it off if I just triggered it. However, when Android Authority reached out to Google regarding the matter about them using snippets that weren't used with OK Google tr- uh, Trigger, Google reassured Android Authority that no malicious activity was taking place with Assistant recordings. And now there's a, kind of this middle ground because Google's telling one person one thing and telling someone else another thing. And now we're kind of in this weird mix where we don't know what to think. I don't know why we would have trusted Google Assistant even before this, but this just adds even more confusion on it. Up next as well, this is going to be an additional API on Android, which is going to allow you to have a COVID vaccination card. So before people freak out, it looks bad on the surface. This is just an API. The API is not utilized unless you have an app that utilizes the API. This is kind of like the original uh, contact tracing that was done with these operating systems. They weren't utilized until you download something that uses the API. So overall, as long as you don't use this, you should be fine. If you're using a custom ROM, you should be fine. And it should only impact people who are actually going to use the vaccination cards on their phone. Our next story is uh, kind of about Google, but mostly about Microsoft. So we're still learning new things about Windows 11, of course. And we have a quick update to add to that. You will be able to sideload Android apps directly onto Windows 11. This means that if there are apps out there that are Android only, like Briar, for example, is a really popular one in the privacy community, Windows users may soon be able to use that app as well. Personally, I'm really excited about that because I use Windows for production, but I, I don't use Android. So that means that people like me will now be able to access Android-only apps. Of course, there's always a risk when it comes to sideloading apps, but make sure you trust the app, make sure you've researched it, and use some common sense and you should be pretty safe. Our next story will be about Facebook. Facebook is working on robots for the real world to help you with your day-to-day tasks. So this is part of a program they've called Habitat, which as of this week moved into Habitat 2.0. They're using virtual reality right now. And the idea is if they use VR, they can train the robots faster than if they have to put them in all these different environments. 2.0 is basically just the next step where they're teaching the robots to interact with the objects in these environments. The goal ultimately is that they want these robots to be able to do things like, you know, put the groceries away, go get an item for you, open doors, and even, you know, if you're visually impaired, be able to like help you walk around kind of like a seeing eye dog as is usually the case with technology i see the value in this type of technology but obviously when facebook is involved this is not a good combination unfortunately because you know they're just gonna use it to collect more data all right our next story is a pretty massive one so western digital the maker of like hard drives and things like that, they have now blamed a remotely installed Trojan for wiping the MyBook storage device. The MyBook Live is a remote cloud-based hard drive that's yours. This is kind of like a home run cloud. It's kind of like a next cloud that's done by a different company, pretty much. But in this case, it has now been exploited through a zero-day vulnerability and all their data is gone. It's interesting hearing the response here because they're saying like they're recommending people disconnect these devices from the internet which is like the whole point of having these devices in the first place. And they are recommending people to patch with with a new update. This is a very big takeaway that personally, I don't trust anything in the cloud. I assume when something's in the cloud, it's going to be public information. But we would recommend using things like NextCloud instead of this. And also just keep it local if you can. I think uh, Nathan mentioned that last week too. Like just keep it local. It's not hard to keep a local backup. You don't have to do backups that frequently to have good, trusted, safe backups. Something I didn't notice on this original link, but when I was looking into this story, the MyBook Live stopped being supported in like 2015. So everyone who was attacked was using a device that was like six years out of date. So that's another moral is like, keep your stuff updated. 
and pick things that are going to be supported. That sucks. I mean, I can't imagine, like, these are probably pretty expensive machines, especially back in 2015. They're talking about terabytes of data being affected from a device from 2014, 2015. That's expensive. Every week that you go after a device loses updates is a riskier week to be using that device. Our next story is about automated vehicles. The U.S. has ordered that automated vehicle makers have to report all crashes. This is another one of those things where, like, it's well-meaning. You know, automated vehicles, they're this new frontier. They're still very much in beta testing, if you want to think of it that way. And, you know, the the goal is to just get more data about those vehicles to improve them, make them safer and stuff like that. First of all, I don't really trust the government to secure data in the first place. That's just my opinion. When this data is collected, in addition to like data breaches, you're also opening up risk to abuse. Like, for example, what happens when insurance companies start getting a hold of this data and then they hike up your insurance for a small crash? I don't know about you guys. I've been in very small little fender benders before where like nobody was hurt. There wasn't really any damage. It was like, hey, there's no need to call the insurance company. I'll go ahead and pay for your, you know, paint job or whatever. But now they're going to forcibly report that to an insurance company and hike up your insurance rate. I don't know. I could see that happening. That's all I'm saying. This is, you know, when this data is collected, it's possible that it may be abused down the road. So if you get an automated vehicle, this is just something you need to be aware of. Our next story, and this is our final story in company news, Intuit, which does a lot of like payroll things for companies, uh, has announced they're going to share payroll data, which is like employee income information uh, from 1.4 million small businesses with Equifax. If Equifax kind of rings some bells for you, that's the company, uh, the credit bureau in 2017 that suffered probably, what, is it still the largest data breach of all time? I don't know if it's still the largest, but I know it was pretty, it was like half of all Americans, right? It was a pretty huge deal. The way this happened is Intuit just sent out a a notice to lots of different small business owners saying, hey, we're going to have these exciting and free new services coming up and we're going to start sharing payroll data with Equifax in order to achieve that. So this isn't just affecting, I guess, business owners, but it's also affecting if you just happen to work for someone who uses Intuit, you can opt out of this as a business owner. I think you have until the end of the month to opt out. So unfortunately, we did not find any research stories this week. Hopefully we'll have something for you guys next time because I know that's a really fun section. We'll go ahead and roll right into politics and we'll go ahead and keep talking about credit reporting agencies because the Supreme Court has limited the cases in which you can sue credit reporting agencies. We were just talking about like Equifax here in the US and I, I know they work in a few other countries and some countries have their own credit reporting agencies. They're really hard to escape. It's almost impossible unless you're pretty wealthy to be totally honest. This is actually a really messed up story. Somebody was trying to sue TransUnion because TransUnion had falsely flagged several people as, quote, specially designated nationals, which is a, it's a list that includes like known terrorists, drug traffickers, and things like that. So obviously if you're on this list wrongly, that's a really big deal. They tried to sue TransUnion and the Supreme Court basically said, you could only sue them if you can prove concrete harm. It's not enough they put you on that list. You can't sue them for that. But if they put you on that list and then somebody pulled a credit check on you and saw that you were on that list and like decided not to hire you or whatever, now you can sue them. I guess at least you can sue them, but that's still pretty crappy of them to put that kind of a limitation on 
on that situation. Okay, so our next story also comes from Epic, and this is about Wisconsin. Unfortunately, this is another privacy loss. They have refused to limit warrantless surveillance searches of cell phones. First of all, let me say that this is not technically a ruling, it's an opinion. It's still up for like debate and people can still push back against it and bring a lawsuit. But I mean, the fact that they've said this on paper is kind of a pretty powerful thing. Basically what happened was a defendant's phone was downloaded and copied. I assume consensually, like I think he went in for something. The data was never deleted. The police just held on to it. And then there was another unrelated homicide where the defendant's phone data was useful. So the police went ahead and used it. And the police basically said, yeah, that's fine. I guess that feels kind of like telling somebody like, yeah, you can borrow my car to go to the store tonight. And then a week later, they borrow your car without asking. Like, no, 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 I gave you my car for this specific use. And then our next story is just kind of an update. Some of you guys may remember FOSTA and SESTA, which were in 2018, it was the Stop Enabling Sex Trafficking Act and the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. This was really highly controversial. A lot of people argued that it was basically going to force sex workers off of the internet and onto the streets where they would be even less safe and it was not really going to stop sex trafficking. It just just wasn't going to work basically and it was going to make everything more dangerous for everybody. A new study has shown that the law was used once. And my first thought was like, okay, is that because everybody, like I remember a lot of websites like really changed their terms of service and like cracked down on stuff because of this law. That is not the reason. The reason is because everybody who was doing the wrong thing just picked up and moved overseas. I guess it was well-meaning if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but just remember that these laws are not always bulletproof and can sometimes cause more harm than good. All right, up next, we have good news. Uh, The state of Maine in the U.S. has passed the, quote, strongest state facial recognition ban yet. Um, This new law is going to ban government use of facial recognition, except in specifically outlined situations, with the most broad exception being if police have probable cause that an unidentified person in an image committed a serious crime. Police will not have access to facial recognition and will need to go through the FBI or DMV. The law bans all informal requests and all searches must be logged and made public record. It's kind of crazy to think that that is the most serious facial recognition ban yet. That just seems like the right way to do it. My first thought was when it's like, oh, they'll have to go through the FBI or the DMV. And I'm like, you know, they're just going to call their friend. But then the fact that it like bans informal requests like that and all searches have to be made public, like I'm sure the abuses will still happen. But the fact that they put those safeguards in place, it's like, oh, cool. They're actually trying. Our next story, there was a proposed rule from the Trump administration that would have massively expanded the collection of biometrics from people that were applying for immigration status. This would have collected facial images, voice prints, iris scans, DNA, and even behavioral biometrics from anyone applying for immigration benefits, which we consider a pretty serious privacy invasion. The Biden administration recently is doing away with that. For our next story, we're going to go overseas. We're going to start in Europe. Europe is rolling out digital vaccine cards. We're just kind of sharing this to let you guys know this is something we've talked about a lot. And a lot of countries are, even here in the US, a lot of states are like back and forth. Should we, should we not? Europe has kind of gone all in for the most part. Germany and Austria have not quite yet adopted it. I believe the article said they haven't like given the tools to the airports because they're still trying to work out the privacy concerns. Ireland hasn't set up any sort of digital passport yet, which I'm going to go ahead and say is probably due to the whole ransomware thing. They're still 
still dealing with. Other than them, pretty much the entire EU has adopted digital passports. Let's move to the UK, where a proposed online safety bill is raising some free speech concerns. There's this new bill that's being proposed called the Online Safety Bill, and there's a part of it that seems a little bit problematic. It would give the culture secretary, quote, disproportionate powers to modify a code of practice. The code of practice is basically the laws that tech companies have to follow, if I understood this article correctly. Basically, the culture secretary would be allowed to modify the codes of practice to ensure that it, quote, reflects government policies. One person would have total blank check to just change the law and the policies as they see fit, which understandably a lot of people are concerned about. Up next, we have a story in New South Wales. This is a really quick one, but pretty much they're trying to rebuild their digital licensing program to create a more modern, better one-stop shop for identity verification, automated approval, and payment. This really seems to mostly apply to driver's licenses, but it could expand more to the future. We put it in here mostly just so you're aware of this. There actually isn't anything written in the article about any privacy concerns or anything like that, but we're always kind of cautious towards digitizing too many things in one central location. Our next story is also from Australia. The Queensland police have tightened their internal protocols on the COVID check-in app. This is just a quick update to a story from last week. We talked about how police had accessed uh, COVID check-in app data for an investigation. They're now reviewing the procedures because that was a huge deal and people were like, you're not supposed to do that. And the government said, well, it was in the fine print. So now the government is just checking it like, okay, we need to figure out whether that was okay or not. Personal cynical opinion, I suspect that they're going to change the wording in the fine print or whatever, rather than actually tell the police not to do that anymore. But at at least if they do that, it'll be more transparent. So I guess either way, it's a win. This next one is, is a bit interesting. There's a law that's trying to be pushed in Belgium. I believe it actually might be already pushed. In this new law, they're going to be requiring communication services like WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, and Telegram to store metadata, as if two of those don't already store metadata. Maybe three. These services now have to keep track of who was in contact with who and where. My personal takeaway, one, this isn't a good thing. This is probably government overreach. But two, I think this really speaks to how important metadata is. If a government cares enough about metadata, but not outlawing something like end-to-end encryption, there's clearly value in metadata. And I think there's that very famous quote from the previous NSA director that, like, we kill people based on metadata. So metadata is a very real thing. In our last political story, Abu Dhabi is using facial COVID scanners at malls and airports. I'm going to quote the article here. Abu Dhabi, which is in Dubai, I think, if you didn't know, will use facial scanners to detect coronavirus infections at malls and airports after a trial of 20,000 people showed, quote, a high degree of effectiveness. Basically saying this stuff is coming, unfortunately, and be aware. All right. And now we're going to migrate over to FOSS News, free and open source. We're going to start with like a huge marketing thing from DuckDuckGo. So this is pretty much DuckDuckGo flexing that they're now the number two largest search engine, which means they passed Bing. Just for mobile, FYI. Just for mobile, just for mobile. This is overall pretty cool. On one hand, it's cool to have a at least a privacy marketed search engine that is number two. I don't think DuckDuckGo is perfect myself, but like this is overall really cool to see. By the time you watch this, there should be a DuckDuckGo versus Brave search for start page comparison live on YouTube. So if you're on the podcast, make sure to go check that out on our channel. I agree with you. DuckDuckGo is not perfect, but man, I would rather my family use DuckDuckGo over Google or Bing or any of that any day. It's more polished Bing. They have the cute little duck, man. He's got the bow tie. It's adorable. How can you compete with that? 
All right, our next story was also kind of a big story in the open source community. OpenStreetMaps, or OSM, is considering relocating to the EU because of Brexit. When Britain split from from the EU, it changed a lot of the laws, and operations for OSM are now really difficult because there's all kinds of copyright laws, and there's disagreements over database rights, and the treasurer said, quote, a multitude of paper cuts, most of which have been triggered or amplified by Brexit. They might be relocating out of... The UK, which, personal opinion, the UK is like the most heavily surveilled country outside of China. So I, in, in my uneducated American opinion, I think that's probably a good idea. Our next story, Linux 5.13 has been released with some, I guess, beginning Apple M1 support. There is a new security feature like Landlock LSM that's being introduced. There's also FreeSync HDMI through the AMD graphics that's being released. Some nice stuff. There are some other little minor releases that are definitely more on the technical end. If you are a Linux user and you care more about the technical underworkings of Linux, go ahead and check out the sources below and you can view them. And then the last one was just letting people know there's a new Tor browser release. There's nothing really to say there. We can scrap yeah, that. I mean, we, yeah, I mean, just that's it. Yeah, new Tor release. Go check it out. <laughs> Okay, cool. We'll keep that in then. And on that note, let's move on to our Misfits section. So we're going to start off um, kind of a common story, unfortunately. Criminals are using video games for crypto mining. Scammers are giving away cracked versions of Grand Theft Auto V, NBA 2K19, and Pro Evolution Soccer 2018. These cracked versions are secretly coming with crypto mining malware. In my opinion, the part that I read and I was like, oh my god, this malware disables Windows updates and Windows antivirus in order to avoid detection. So... Not only are you getting this one malware that can potentially slow out your device, wear out your components due to overuse, hike up your electrical bill, but it's now also opening you up to all these additional risks because it's shutting off your antivirus. I I know times are tough. I know games are expensive. Don't pirate games. Don't pirate anything, man. It's just... It's not worth it, in my opinion. We have a really old video that was kind of off topic for our channel, which is, should you pirate things? This was like back in 2017 or something. Someone left a comment like, what you said about pirating being risky for malware is complete, utter BS. As long as you get it from trusted sources, it's totally safe. And it's like, okay, yeah, if you get it from trusted sources, it's safe. That means buying the actual thing. And then we see stories like constantly about like, Bad comments. Our next one has to do with VPNs. Benjo, if you're listening, you'll like this one. Double VPN, which is literally the name of the service. It's applicable though, because they do have this double VPN thing. They have been seized by law enforcement. It's pretty obvious now that there were logs that are being kept on these users. The big takeaway here is you are putting an immense amount of trust in a VPN company. Anything can happen. And so you should really be having some high standards for your VPN company. As of right now, the three services we still recommend to people are Molvad, iVPN, and Proton VPN. They're all open source. They have some of the most trustworthy things that we can use to trust these services. And even then, it's safe to assume they're gonna be compromised someday too. And you should work with that threat model in mind. Our next story is just a real short one. Florida police nabbed a 2007 sexual assault suspect using public genealogy databases. Just kind of letting you guys know this stuff is becoming more and more common. I mean, this stuff really rose to prominence a couple years ago when they got the Golden State Killer, which again, I just want to go on record and say, I'm glad they caught that guy. He was super messed up. (laughs) Bro, I listen to true crime. That guy was a monster. And like, honestly, I'm not even joking. The biggest thing that pisses me off about that case, he got away with it. The dude's like 90. Like every time he walks into court, he looks like a strong breeze is going to kill him. Dude, I'm just laughing because I know there's going to be that YouTube comment. Nathan defends Golden State Killer (laughs) because he believes in privacy, which (laughs) the lack of privacy caught him. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
it wasn't even him. It was his family. Anyways, we're going to see more and more of this stuff. I personally don't really have an interest in my like ancestry. I, I'm pretty sure it's like mayonnaise. I know for some people that's really important and they want to know their heritage and where they're from. And I totally respect that. Read the privacy policy, know what these companies are going to do with your data. And of course, don't rape people in the first place. Don't do bad things, but also protect your privacy. All right, and our final story is definitely probably one of the most fun ones of the week. When this originally came out, it looked like Google started injecting ads into an SMS2FA token. For people who still use text for their SMS two-factor authentication, Google will send you a text with a code so they can log into your account. And someone posted on Twitter, hey, Google attached an advertisement for a VPN inside of the 2FA code. Turns out that the carrier right? Their cell carrier intercepted the SMS message and added in an ad to the message before sending it to the individual. Now, one thing I really dug deep to try to find who the carrier was, and they did a very good job of hiding who the carrier was. So I actually never got an answer to who the carrier was. Either way, this proves one, just don't use SMS for anything, especially 2FA codes. You should assume when you're using SMS, it's just public information. Anyone can intercept an SMS message right outside your apartment, but also don't trust your carrier. Carriers are they're out to make money. They're not going to do anything to benefit you. Use end-to-end -end encryption and use a VPN to transfer trust from your ISP to your VPN, who hopefully doesn't rely on double encryption for their marketing. I was right about to say, should I use double VPN? <laughs> double encryption. <laughs> what about Ola? I can use free VPNs, right? Hide my ass. There we the go. The name tells you what it does. <laughs> That was all the news for our report. We want to let you know we're going to be taking two weeks off after this report. We're going to be drinking pina coladas and, and running on the beach and, and swimming and doing all types, of, all types of fun things. So no more surveillance reports for the next two weeks. Um, but we will be back on July 25th. So make sure to enjoy your time off. Go implement something fun in your configuration. Go take your password manager to the next level. Go have some fun with stuff. And we'll be there to update you all on all the major stories when we get back that you missed. Promo spot, Proton VPN. Yeah, get Proton if you want to. It's in the description. It's an affiliate link. It'll help us out too, so we can keep doing this for free. Lots of good stuff there. Thank you for listening. Um, yeah, thanks.